been together for all this time Sharing the laughter and tears You said forever that you'd be mine And I'd stay with you through the years In every season, through every turn It'll always be you by my side And laughter and pain and the joy through the rain I'll face every turn on the tide Cause all that I need is you You're the only one that matters As long as I've got you Got everything I need All that I need is you You're all that matters And you're the only one That I could ever love And nothing can take you away from me You're my family, you're my home All that I'll ever need is you Do you feel like you're getting ready to watch a sitcom from the 90s right now? <laughs> Friday night, TGIF, you know? <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Hey, we're going to do something here today and next week that we've never done before uh, at our church. And please, I apologize. I lost my voice yesterday at my son's AAU basketball game, so I'm going to try to get this out here a little bit. It's very exciting. But uh, we are we're going to uh, do a, a little discussion about marriage for the next two weeks. And I've been trying to get my wife on stage for like 10 years, and it's never really worked out. And so uh, would you give my wife a warm welcome today? It's my wife, Jackie. So exciting. One of, one of our elders sent me a text uh, after the first service and said, wow, I think we might have found another replacement for you when you're out of town <laughs> to speak. So um, no, but uh, it's, it's, it's been a privilege to be able to last night talk with, with Jackie here and then again in the 915 and then here at the 1115. And so um, you know, when it, marriage is, is a passion of mine. I love to talk about it. Um, we have a, what I would say is a very enjoyable marriage. And uh, so I wanted to have a discussion, a little series, but I was going to do these talks by myself, but I thought, you know what? You guys probably get bored of hearing from me all the time. <laughs> it's got to be boring, right? I bore myself sometimes. <laughs> but so I thought, wouldn't it be great to hear from Jackie a little bit on this issue of marriage? I mean, it does take two people to really put together a, a, a cultivate a marriage that is enjoyable. So she's got a lot of really neat insight on, on our marriage, and uh, she probably more so than I, has made our marriage what it is today. So I invited her up here to have a discussion. And uh, why don't we get started by you kind of sharing with everybody how we met and how you uh, fell in love with me. <laughs> we met at Liberty University in 1997. And as I, as I really thought through the process of all the steps that it took for us to get together, there were a couple of the first things that happened that made it what I think is a little bit improbable for us to get together. The first is that when Danny first saw me, he recalls it as, um, well, I was running on campus, and uh, which was a really rare occurrence. And he took the, the fact that I was tall and that I was running to mean that I was athletic, which isn't true. Yeah, I was totally thinking she's got to be either a basketball player or a volleyball player. And I was looking into the future, like, what would that mean for my kids? And <laughs> I was intentional, no joke. Right. So, you know, I was surprised. You know, for me, coordination 
Um, I have some, but it's more like jazz hands and, you know, box step, you know, dance moves, but not so much anything, you know, anything with a ball coming at me, I'm, I'm ducking and I'm hiding, you know, but I've gotten, I've gotten better. He's taught me a lot. I got to tell you one, one story really quick about uh, one day when I realized that Jackie wasn't very athletic. Uh, when we used to, uh, like, come call for each other or whatever, we were going somewhere, we would, you know, I lived in a three-story dorm on campus at Liberty, and her, her dorm was two stories, and what I would do is I would take a pebble, I'd go outside her window just to let her know I was there, and I would kind of toss the pebble up and hit her window, and she would know I'd be waiting outside. Well, one day she came to call on me, and, and, uh, and so uh, she, she picked up a rock, and, uh, and right when she was about to throw the rock, uh, I came to the window to kind of see what was going on, and, and this, this is what I saw. She took the pebble, and she went like this. She went to throw it up to the third story, and she threw it to the window right in front of her. <laughs> and it hit the window on the first floor, and I saw it, and I was just kind of like... <laughs> you knew. You knew what you were doing. That was okay. That was okay. Uh, no, but that, that was the first thing that I thought was maybe something against us actually getting together and dating. The second thing was that uh, I was thinking about our, our very first face-to-face -face meeting. And um, on campus, occasionally I would get mail. And this was back in the days when you would like write a letter on paper you know, and, and put it in an envelope and just put a stamp on it and send it in the mail. So as a college student, it was really fun to get mail from, you know, my parents or my siblings. And so this particular day, I had gotten mail, and I was walking back to my dorm, and I, I had to go down this hill that had steps built into it made out of railroad ties, so these big wooden steps. And, and instead of watching where I was going, I was reading my mail, and I took that first step, I missed the first step, and I somersaulted down the stairs in my skirt <laughs> with people at the bottom watching all this happen. And I wound up with a huge like scrape across my forehead and a couple of stitches right between my eyes. And um, that evening, a mutual friend of ours decided to come visit me, and he brought Danny along with him. And they brought me like band-aids. Let's and, go patch up the pretty girl. Yeah. I was like, absolutely. <laughs> it's a no brainer. And so I was all, you know, like swollen and bruised and, and busted up. And I was really surprised. Still beautiful that, though. That, very, very. Yeah, yeah he even still wanted to ask me out. Yeah. He did ask me out the following semester. And when he did, um, I was in a period of a dating fast. And so this was really common at Liberty, you know, to kind of take a, a period of time and just... Um, focus on the Lord and what he would have for you. And it was really like dating Jesus for a few months. And so I still had about a month left of that. And then he had to wait. And, but it was well worth it because uh, we finally went out. And we went to Fazoli's, which was awesome. Free breadsticks. Come on. <laughs> score. <laughs> and you know, it was just a few weeks after that that we uh, had a really long conversation in my Ford Topaz from high school. Um, on, in one of the parking lots there at school, and we really shared our hearts, our hopes, and our dreams, the kind of future that we both like to have, and we found that they, they matched up really nicely, and that's when I knew. Yeah, so she had a list of qualities that she wanted in a husband. I kid you not. She had it printed out, and wouldn't you know it, I had every single one of those qualities. <laughs> well... You had almost. Almost. I, she had one on there that was like some, had something to do with music or musical talent, which I have zero 
zero of that. Right. So we both had to have some some. Yeah, I, but I'm not there. athletic, so it's kind of trade-off. <laughs> trade-off. So, no, I love talking about marriage, as I mentioned earlier. Every year when I read through the Bible, I read through Proverbs twice, and I always come across Proverbs 18.22, which says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And every time I read that, I go, oh my gosh, that's so true. I, I found this amazing woman, and, and, and I feel like I have God's favor upon my life, and, and we enjoy our marriage. And, uh, and so what I have realized as, as a pastor, and maybe this is because of my position, is that I'm, I'm aware of a lot of the, the marriages that are not going well, and the marriages that are ending, ending in divorce, the marriages that are going sour. I mean, half of the marriages in America today end in divorce. It's very sad. It breaks my heart. And I look at our marriage and I think, man, I wish, I wish that, not that we have the perfect marriage, because we really don't. We mess up. We make mistakes. We have to ask each other to forgive. I mean, that's next week. We're going to talk about forgiveness a little bit. But we don't have the perfect marriage, but we have one that we're both, we like to be together, we enjoy it, we find life in this. And, and so I want to have a discussion about marriage in hopes that more people can maybe start to cultivate a marriage that's enjoyable. And so uh, Jack and I have been married now for uh, 15 years. It'll be 16 years uh, next month, August 14th. And we got married right here in this spot, which is really cool, uh, a lot of fun. And uh, as, I, as I said, we don't have a perfect marriage, but my, my hope is that you can get to the spot where I am. Not that, again, I'm not saying I'm perfect or whatever, that we got the perfect marriage, but there's, I actually would prefer to hang out with Jackie than anybody else in the world. Like she, I can say she's my best friend. Uh, she's incredibly smart. She's why she's smarter than me in many ways. And uh, I, just, I just love her to death. And so, you know, now that I've scored major brownie points uh, right there, uh, <laughs> Here, here's what I, we'd like to do. We'd like to have a discussion over the next two weeks about some discoveries that we have made. We're not going to preach at you and say, hey, you need to do this or that. These are just things that we've discovered that we've kind of incorporated into our marriage that has really helped us to cultivate an enjoyable marriage. My hope is that you'll kind of glean something. Maybe you'll hear something for the first time. Maybe it's something you've heard before, but you need to hear again because you didn't apply it. Anybody ever have that experience? <laughs> you hear something, oh, that's a good idea, but you don't do it, right? That's me a lot of times. And, and, and my hope is that you'll hear something and, and just try to go run with it in your own marriage. Listen, there's some of you here, there's maybe a lot of you here that are not married, statistics show that you probably will get married or remarried. And so maybe you can just kind of listen, thinking about the future. Hey, maybe I'll hear something, learn something or whatever and that I could apply to some, you know, relationship maybe down, on the, uh, down the road a little bit. So that's kind of my heart. I, I want everyone to be able to experience the blessing uh, of marriage. God created marriage to be a blessing, not a curse. You know, we don't want people saying, oh, he who finds a spouse finds a bad thing and obtains a curse from the Lord. Like, that's not what we want people saying, and certainly not what we want for each other. So let's talk, let's jump into this. The first, the first discovery that we made is that we, we realized that if we're going to continue to have an enjoyable marriage, we must communicate, communicate, communicate really, really well. Yeah, as we, we've uh, had a lot of time in the car recently, we've been doing a lot of driving, a lot of traveling, and we've had a lot of time to talk about what is it that we feel like um, has impacted our marriage the most uh, specifically. And with communication, we kind of came up with four specific things that we felt like were important in our marriage. And the first couple are levels of communication. First, you have that, that practical level of communication, and that has to do with calendars and schedules, work, kids, and their sports, and what time are we doing this, and did we double book ourselves here? And when we're not communicating on that practical level, it creates friction. 
because inevitably somebody doesn't get picked up or, you know, I told them to go to a practice that happened, ended two hours ago, and, and there's just that level of frustration and friction. We're right in the thick of this because we're just kind of coming into that life stage where our kids are getting really busy with sports and athletics. And just for, as an example, this week, uh, our middle child was in, Fort, uh, was in Kentucky at middle school camp. He had a fabulous time. I was in Fort Wayne at a tournament with two kids. He was here with a dog working. And then at, at we bonded, point, we connected. It yeah, was good. Yeah. It was really good. And then at some Love point, him. you know, grandparents came and they took a kid and he came and brought a kid. And, you know, we were having to decide, are we going to stay for the second game? Because they won the first game. And it was like, you know, now are we going to stay? We had to make that decision. And, you know, in short, we were on 69 coming home from Fort Wayne like three hours before the service started yesterday, stuck in traffic, like, like not moving traffic. And so that created a huge like level of stress that wasn't necessary because our planning wasn't, wasn't that great. It wasn't that bad. It just could have been better. It could have been a lot better. But you know what? Thankfully... <laughs> You know, We're working on this. We are. We are. If you have any apps or something that's working for you, let us know. Um, no, thankfully, though, for us, you, because we're applying a lot of these other principles, we're not having a lot of friction. We're just trying to figure things out, too. We're right there with you. Um, the second level of communication that's really important is communicating emotionally. Mm. And those are the questions like, you know, how are you doing? You know, how, how are you feeling? You seem a little down. You seem a little off. You know, what's going on? Or I, I know about that situation at work or that so-and-so said this to you. You know, how is that affecting you? Or um, a little bit more deeper, maybe sometimes we don't want to say this, but how have I offended you? You know, you seem a little cold. You seem a little distant. Did I do anything mm. wrong to offend you? We need to connect emotionally. I need to know where he's at and share with him where I'm at to avoid that level of friction. Because yeah. when we're not doing that, there's definitely friction. And this is like a, a more severe mm -hmm. level of friction because it creates bitterness, resentment. It causes you know, one spouse to feel lonely. And you know, it just, it hurts the marriage. Yeah, and guys struggle with this because we don't want to open up. We don't want we to we share how we're feeling. And, and to be honest with you guys, you just got to get over that. I mean, you just got to quit the macho stuff and just be, just be willing to share because when you connect emotionally, man, it really helps the marriage to go better. And when your wife kind of knows where your heart is and knows what, knows what you're feeling and knows what's going on inside. And so what we try to do on a daily basis, seriously, on a daily basis, we try to communicate practically what's going on, who needs to go where, what time are the practices, what time do we have to be back at church, blah, 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 blah. And then also on a daily basis, we really try to connect emotionally just to get a, a feel or, or a pulse on how she's doing like on the inside about whatever happened yesterday or the day before or something that took place. And she tries to do the same. And it's not these long, drawn-out conversations. It's just, look, when you do it every day, it could just be about 10 minutes. And so we try to, we, we've disciplined ourselves to do that at least once a day. So mm -hmm. what about the third yeah. one? Um, the next thing that we kind of talked about that we've applied to our marriage is this idea or principle of reflective listening. Mm -hmm. So this is something that Stephen Covey talks about in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which Danny read several years ago. And we immediately... Great book if you haven't read it, Seven Habits. Yeah. Great. And we immediately applied this to our marriage because we found it to be such an effective tool. And a lot of times when someone is talking to me, my natural bent is to, instead of listen, 
It's to be thinking about what I want to say back to them. And so I'm not really listening. I'm kind of like, okay, how am I going to respond? And then a lot of times I'll respond with giving advice. Um, maybe I will be um, criticizing. Maybe I'll try to help them fix the problem. Or, you know, maybe it's attacking. And, and so when Stephen Covey talks about when we do that, we kind of um, suck the emotional oxygen out of the room. And whoever is speaking feels like, shut down. Mm -hmm. They haven't been heard. They haven't been understood. You know, it's that principle of seeking first to understand before you, you know, seek to be understood. So um, when you're listening reflectively, it's, it's just what it sounds like. You just reflect or repeat back to the speaker what they said to you. And, you know, when we do this, it, it helps us understand what they've said because it's going in your ears, it's going through your brain, you're processing it. And then maybe you're rephrasing what they've said and then you're speaking it out. And so through all that, your brain is processing it and you're really understanding what that person is saying. But secondly, it helps the speaker to feel like they've been heard. Mm -hmm. And when they feel like they've been heard, it creates this, this emotional oxygen and they will continue to share and you can actually get to the root of the problem rather than just maybe the surface, which is where the conversation started and the problem is down here. You, you'll peel back layers that way and get to the root of the problem. Yeah, this has been one of the greatest things we've applied to our <clears throat> marriage and um, because there's no faster way to shut the conversation down than to just come back with a rebuttal or, or a quick fix. Or, mm -hmm. And I've really struggled with this. Yeah, Danny's really, he's, he's really grown in this area because he's a fixer. You know, I, you know, not so much of things like in the house, but, and that's okay. That's okay. It's all right. You can throw me under the bus in front of a thousand people. It's all right. But I can, I can do light bulbs. Yeah. You're, you're getting better. That's good. We, you know, he's, his, the way God has created him is to fix things, people. And so any of you who've had the opportunity to sit across the table from him at Starbucks or sit in his office, you've experienced this that he's great at listening and quickly, you know, finding an answer in scripture that solves your problem and helping you apply that. And he's, you know, he's amazing at this. But in our marriage, what I, I, I don't always need to be fixed first thing, or do I want to be fixed first thing? I want to be heard, and I want to feel like he's hearing me, and then we eventually get to fixing that problem. Yeah, and we don't always get this right, for sure. I'll give you an example. We were on vacation uh, with, my, uh, with my family two weeks ago, and so there were 17 of us in a beach house, everybody in one house, which I don't necessarily recommend, uh, <laughs> but, but it was a great thing. We were on the Jersey Shore. We went to uh, Long Beach Island, and um, you know, I was about the fourth day. Anytime you try to go somewhere with 17 people, it's a struggle. And you have to over-communicate, right? There's nine children, and oh my gosh, it's crazy. Um, and so it was the third day or fourth day, and, and we had gone to the beach, gosh, it had to be for four hours. And it was getting, we were getting fried by the sun, and it was time for a break. It was time to go back to the house and relax and have lunch and take a nap. And uh, when we got back to the house, all 17 of us, I noticed that there was some hustle and bustle and people were moving and shaking and people were cramming food down their throats. And I'm, I'm kind of looking around like, what's going on, right? And so my sister-in-law says, we got to hurry up and get to the rides by four o'clock. And I'm like, the rides? I'm exhausted. Like the sun has, the sun has just sapped me of strength. We built this huge sandcastle. Maybe some of you saw that on Facebook or something like that. Um, and, and so sure enough, 30 minutes later, we're all back in the vans going to the amusement park for three more hours in the sun for fun and merry-go-rounds and right. 
And it was a blast for the kids. And, and, and so when we all got back in the van, like some obscene hour, like 7.30 that night, we're, you know, and, 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 and uh, we're, we're just, we're just, you know, we're in the car and I look at my wife and I said, you know, it's, this is, we're having fun, we're having fun. But, but who's in charge of this vacation? Like, like no one's communicating and, 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 and then she, and then. Well, and I was kind of coming I back I was just with... sharing my heart, right? I just right. wanted her to, I just wanted her to hear me. Yeah. And I was coming back with, well, we're, you know, we all kind of talked about this in the kitchen at breakfast. Were you not there? Were you not there for that conversation you hear about the amusement park? It's like from four to seven, you can get a wristband for like 12 bucks and ride, you know, unlimited rides instead of buying tickets. And the only thing that I had heard about the amusement rides was my brother on the beach kind of walking over uh, saying, hey, do you want to go to the rides after the beach? And all I said to him was, how much money does it cost? And he kind of stuttered something and walked away. And that's all I knew about the rides. I was <laughs> not so, in this meeting in the kitchen, right? Yeah, and so then I kind of came back and again said, well, you know, we were, we were all there in the kitchen at breakfast, and we were talking about the amusement park. You weren't there? You didn't know about this? So, so at this point, I, my hand, I'm, gripping, I'm gripping the steering wheel tightly, right? Because she's, she's fixing me and telling me I'm wrong and I didn't hear and I'm the, I'm the one who screwed up, right? Don't you love that? And so I said back to her, you, you know what I said? You're not reflecting. It's <laughs> exactly what I said. And, and so I said it with kind of this edge in my voice, and, and, my, and, and my, my mom was right behind me in the van, and it's always great to argue and, and kind of belittle your wife in front of your mom. Highly, highly recommend it. No, but it worked out. And we, he apologized for saying that in front of his mom, and I apologized for not reflecting. Yeah. Or yeah. sharing what was happening, I, you know, I assumed. So but anyway, I share that. that yeah, I share that because we don't always get it right. So, so talk about this fourth one real quick. Well, uh, the last principle that we really try to use in our, in our marriage and in our home is that of speaking life. Uh, the Bible says that um, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And sometimes speaking life is in the things that you say, and sometimes it's in the things that you don't say. Um, so the first thing that we can, I can think of is giving compliments. Danny's great at this. Um, he'll come home and say, gosh, the house looks great. Or, man, that dinner was delicious. Or, you know, sometimes he'll just say, thank you for doing my laundry, for folding my underwear, you know. Um, because if she doesn't do it, I got to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I hate that. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes he'll just say something real simple, like, you know, you look really beautiful today. And, you know, when he says that, it speaks life to me. It helps me to know that the things that I feel like are mundane and that nobody notices, those daily tasks, that, that someone is noticing and that it's important, you know, and that doing that laundry, it's, it's actually affecting someone positively. Um, so that, that brings life to me. Um, the second thing, the way that we can speak life is... Um, by giving criticism constructively, because you know you know that we can't just compliment all the time, especially if you have kids in the home. You can't just be saying, you know, you're so awesome, you know, you're great at everything, you're the greatest kid, you know, because while some of that's true, they screw up, you know, and they need instruction, they need redirection. But we just try to do it in a positive way. We try to use um, kind tones of voice and language to to criticize and give instruction in a positive way. And then, you know, sometimes speaking life is the things that you don't say. 
you know, like sometimes if your spouse will do something, you know, like back the car out of the garage because into the other car because, of, you know, in a hurry to go get fast food or something. <laughs> you know, sometimes there are things that you want to say after that, but you just shouldn't. And so... She does really good at yeah. that because it happened. Not that instance, that doesn't happen a lot with the cars, but right. other things happen. Right, right. But, you know, it's because to say the thing that pops up in your head right away would be to speak death. Yeah. And so sometimes you can speak life by just refraining from what, you know, you want to say, what's bubbling up on the inside. But, um, you know, a couple sub points that we were talking about is that we, we don't use foul language in our home. We don't use, you know, we don't talk in derogatory ways. Uh, we don't name call. We don't allow name calling between our children. Um, and for some people, I know that was the culture that you grew up in, and maybe that's the culture you're continuing in your home, and you feel like it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, the Bible says it's death and life in the power of your tongue. And so, you know, we feel like that is a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and lastly, you know, the word that, I don't think we've ever discussed this, whether or not to use this word, but we have just decided to never, ever, ever use the word divorce, um, knowing that uttering that word in our relationship could really quickly open up a path that neither of us want to take. Yeah, you know, I know couples who argue, and when they argue, they throw the divorce word out, and I, I tell them, I say, like, if you want to create an absolute toxic environment for your marriage, just use the divorce word. Because what's happening when you use that word is you're saying to your spouse, if this continues to be this way, if you continue to do what you're doing, I'm out. In other words, I'm not committed. See that? And, and then once you use that D word, it, it attacks the foundation of your marriage and nothing is secure. So we've just made this commitment that, you know, when we're arguing or we're fighting, we're talking more about fighting fair next week, that we're just not going to throw the divorce word out there. So that's really, it's been helpful to us. So let's talk about this next one. Um, this has to do with intimacy. And I've noticed that intimacy can either be something that's wonderful in a marriage or it can really be something that is a cause of a lot of tension. And for the first couple of years of our marriage, it was a source of tension. And so, not completely, but it, it was, a, it was, a, it was a definitely uh, something we had to work on. And so, what we've discovered, something that really helped us is this idea right here, is that intimacy is more about giving than it is about getting. Yeah. Intimacy is more about serving than it is about receiving. I'll let you go first. Mm -hmm. um, I love how this second point really dovetails with the first point, because uh, high levels of intimacy in a relationship come from high levels of mental and emotional connection. And you get those high levels of mental and emotional connection when you're communicating well. So if you can figure out how to communicate well, then everything else should follow. But for me, <clears throat> intimacy being about giving and not getting, I, I think a couple of things that really helped me kind of understand this and kind of assimilate this idea into my life was to just practice the golden rule. You know, to think, you know, what would I want if I were in his shoes? You know, my love language is quality time, and his love language is physical touch. So, you know, if I put myself in his shoes and I think, how would I feel if he didn't want to go on that date, if he didn't want to engage in this conversation, or even if, if he didn't want to be home when I was home? Like, if I ever felt that he just didn't want to come home, that would hurt my heart. And so in the same way, you know, if his love language is physical touch, you know, how would he feel if I'm just shut down, not engaged, totally not interested, 
you know, that would hurt his heart. And the last thing I want is to hurt the heart of my husband. Mm. And so putting myself in his shoes, practicing that golden rule um, has really helped me. But another thing that has helped me over the years is I felt like several years ago, the Lord just showed this to me that, you know, my husband has a lot of really incredible people in his life. He's got this amazing staff here at church. He's got amazing, you know, men who speak truth into his life and keep him, keep him accountable and encourage him. You know, he's got guys that text him scriptures every day. And, you know, there are all these people pouring into him in different ways. But the Lord showed me that there's this one need and desire of his that only I can speak to. Only I can speak to that intimate part of his life, his needs and his desires. And so when I look at our intimacy through that lens, it really raises um, that, you know, part of our life and makes it an, an honor and a privilege to fulfill that responsibility and that role because it's like a key that God has given only me. Mm. Only I hold that key. And so it kind of makes it, you know, more special. Yeah, so he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? That's good. That's some good stuff right there. Just favor upon my life. Um, yeah, this, is, this, is, this was a point of tension for us early on, and mostly because of me. You know, um, the, our culture creates this. We live in a sexual culture. Everything is sexualized. Commercials are sexualized, right? So, and the message that you get through, through the media and through pornography is that sex is all about you. It's all about satisfying your desires. And so, like, growing up in that culture and caused me to kind of enter into uh, my, our marriage with a, with a me focus when it came to this issue of intimacy. And so, especially with, with kind of like, we were trying to do it the God-honoring way, so like we were, we, uh, we had waited until our wedding night to be intimate, and that was a miracle, don't you agree? <laughs> so, Jesus helped us uh, to, to, to get to that point where, where we, we waited, and so my expectation was, hey, we've waited all this time, we're going we're gonna, to like be intimate every day. That was... <laughs> It's like, you know, now that we're married, let's like go at it. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's like no, no rules. We could just go for it. And, and, and so it was a totally selfish perspective that I had. It was, it was just, I was, I, was in, I was coming at this whole issue in an unbiblical way. And I had to relearn that, that, that's not, that's not, uh, that, that Christianity and my faith was not overlapping with my sexuality. And it was causing all kinds of tensions in our marriage. And, and by nature, a man, not, this is not the case in every marriage, but by nature, the man's desires are higher than the woman's desires when it comes to sexuality. And so that was definitely the case in our marriage. So it was like, what's your problem? You know, this, I'm your husband, this is the blah, blah. And so I had to look at the teachings of Jesus and kind of reorient myself. Like one of the things Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, this is a great verse just for whole, all of discipleship, your whole life, but definitely for our sexuality. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. I don't like to do that, <laughs> right? Especially when it comes to intimacy. Let him deny himself, take up his cross. Well, what does the cross do? The cross kills you. The cross killed Jesus, right? Jesus says, hey, you want to be my follower? You're in for a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Really? Even in the area of intimacy? Yes, right, if you want to be my follower, and so I had to begin looking at intimacy as, as more of an issue of, hey, how can I bless my wife 
instead of take from her constantly. And that switch in mindset has really helped us in this area and overcome a lot of the, the tensions and the struggles because now it's more about offering something to her rather than it is about taking something from her. And so I know some of you guys are hearing that right now and you're wishing I would shut up. <laughs> aren't you? Because you're like, if I took that posture towards my wife, we'd never make love. <laughs> and, and, and listen, that may be the case. That may be the case. But Jesus, let me just say something about Jesus. He was the happiest person to ever walk this planet, and he was never intimate with a woman. You put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> it's true, Right? In other words, men, we have, we, have put, we have put sex in that category with food and water, and it does, not need, it does not belong in that category. Like, you do not need this area to be happy. Now, some of you guys are like, I hate this guy. He's, I'm never coming back to this church again. No, but it's true. It's true. I got to tell the truth because I had to face this reality that this is not about me. Like, I can live without this. Now, all that being said, here's what my heart tells me, and this is what's been true in our marriage. As I, has, as I have taken this, tried to take this posture towards my wife in this area of intimacy, it has led to a blossoming of our, our intimacy, because now it's all about, hey, how can I bless you, rather than what can I take from you, and she's responded wonderfully to that, so um, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Some of you are like, goodness, move on to the next point. Okay, here we go, ready? So the next idea is just to, it, that has really blessed us and helped us to cultivate an enjoyable marriage is just to, number three, be trustworthy, just to, to be a trustworthy person. I believe that trust is the glue to all great relationships. Is that an overstatement? No, absolutely not. I mean, trust eliminates fear, worry, insecurity, and it ushers in peace and contentment, security. It spouses trust one another. There's no sleepless nights. Uh, people aren't left wondering, you know, where their spouse is, who they're with, what they're spending money on, what they're looking at. Um, you just, it, 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 gets rid of all of that fear and brings safety to the relationship. Yeah, so there's a lot of ways you can lose trust in a marriage for sure. You can, you can lie, you can spend money your spouse doesn't know about, but the, the biggest way that I've seen or the largest way I've seen trust be withdrawn from a marriage is through cheating, through infidelity, through an affair. And so that is absolutely devastating to this, to this thing called trust. And so what we've done is tried to, not that, not that we've done it intentionally, I guess we've done it intentionally, but we've just discovered, hey, here's some things that we can do that safeguard our marriage from an affair or from adultery. Can you share those? Yeah, I mean, the first is just creating a pattern of truth-telling um, or creating a pattern of being a trustworthy person. Early on when we first started dating, um, I had unfortunately developed a, a high level of mistrust in dating relationships. Um, from, from, pre from, from previous relationships. So when we started dating, I automatically just applied that mistrust onto Danny without, you know, he didn't do anything to earn that. I just, I had it, I put it on him, and I thought that he was just like everybody else. And so anytime he would be late or I couldn't get a hold of him or he would have to change plans, all this insecurity would rise up inside of me and I would automatically just think, Oh, he's talking to someone else. You know, he's cheating. Um, he's going to break up with me. And I just thought all these horrible things were going through my head. Um, and then, you know, we'd, we would have the date or we would hook, you know, we'd meet up. And he would say, I would say, you know, where were you? And every time it was always something like, oh, this guy on my hall in my dorm needed prayer. 
And so I stopped to prayer for him. Or um, I'd make I was, up some good ones. I, <laughs> that's not true. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, or it was you know, true. he would say something like, um, "Yeah, I was leaving Walmart, and I noticed this lady sitting on the bench, and I sat down, and I shared the gospel with her, and she got saved." And I'm like feeling like a heel because I just assumed that he was doing these terrible things. So he helped me recover from that mistrust by being a trustworthy person and having a pattern of truth-telling. And, you know, I know there are some of you here who are in a relationship where there's been a breach of trust. And so if that's you, if you were the one who committed the, the break of trust, you can recover from that mm -hmm. by just being a trustworthy person mm -hmm. Absolutely. and telling the truth, you know, and even getting out in front of things before they happen, you know, being overly and painfully honest, like, hey, I had a conversation with this person, or, you know, hey, I accidentally saw this, or, hey, I wanted to let you know, you know, I spent this, and even if it's not something incriminating, you know, just get out there because your spouse, the more you do that, the quicker your spouse will learn, and your spouse will learn to trust you. Again. I have absolutely seen this firsthand, that folks who, couples who have had a, uh, an affair, or there's been an adultery of some sort, um, if they really want to rebuild that trust, they absolutely can by, by just developing this crazy pattern of telling the truth, telling the truth, telling the truth over and over and over. And over time, what happens is that gives the other spouse the evidence to say, okay, you really have changed. But when a, when, when, when a spouse is unwilling to do that, the trust is, is not really ever rebuilt and then the marriage continues to struggle mm -hmm. or ends in divorce. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that we have really discovered that has helped us is that we have pretty strict boundaries in our marriage. Um, we don't have any friends of the opposite sex. We have um, friends who are couples, but we don't have anyone in our lives. I don't have anyone who's a man that I would text on a friendship level or hang out with on a friendship level or, you know, instant message, you know, on a, on a friendship level because I just don't think it's necessary. You know, I feel like I have friends who are women, and Danny is my very best friend. And, you know, other than that, what do I need? You know, I could have a couple of friendships, and, you know, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't hurt anything, but I wouldn't have the full confidence of my husband. Mm. But what would I be gaining from those relationships? Not what I would be, you know, it's, it's what I would be gaining it isn't in comparison to what I would be losing. Mm -hmm. And so having the full confidence of my husband is really important to me. Um, so I just try to be very, very above board. And even, you know, in some of the things, um, people that I have to communicate with, like with my son's coach, you know, often texting, like, you know, when's practice, what jersey do they wear? A lot of times I'll just copy his wife on the text because I don't ever want to do anything that would, you know, cause anyone to think there was something untoward yeah. there. And I know so that's, that's a pretty severe, uh, I guess severe is probably not the right word, uh, hyper standard that we have to guard. And, and you might be thinking, but if you're a trustworthy person, why can't you have friendships with the opposite sex? And, and why can't your spouse have friendship with, with you? Well, they can. I don't think it's a sin. I don't think it's, you know, you're not sinning. But here's what I think is true. You're opening yourself up to temptation at the friendship level. 
And we've just decided that we're just not even going to do that. So I don't have girlfriends, and she doesn't have boyfriends uh, through Facebook or whatever. Just, just to guard against that, to not even invite temptation into our life. Now, we're not preaching at you saying, hey, you need to do this. This is just what we have decided. And, you know, if we've seen, I've seen, read about godlier men and godlier women than me that have fallen into affairs. And when I look into how did it happen, it was because of a friendship or this or that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not even going to go there. So we've just, we've just made that standard for ourselves mm-hmm. to guard against that. Right, yeah. And the last thing that we kind of discussed that, we've dis- that we felt like we've discovered over the years is that we don't have a lot of privacy. Um, you know, I think this was easy for us because we were so young when we got married. And so we did everything together where there was no his and hers and trying to join all of these things, you know. So we kind of grew up, did that last stage of growing up together. But it helped us create this level of not having anything private from each other. You know, I'm not going to, if I grab his phone, he's not going to say, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You know, that's, that's my business. You know, because there isn't any business of his that isn't my business and vice versa. That's there's, huge. There's nothing going on in my life that's private or separate or can't be seen or, you know, um, dealt with by him. There's no business of mine that's not his. Um, so I think we don't have any passwords on our phones, on our laptops, you know, um, we don't have a joint Facebook account, but, you know, we, we, you know, are on Facebook sometimes together, and so we just don't have any, anything that's private. Yeah, so, you know, the proverb says, you know, he who has uh, confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is, is like, you know, it's like walking around chewing with a broken tooth or walking around with a lame foot. And I've always, I've always looked at that and thought, man, you know what that means? That just means when you cannot trust the key person in your life, there's pain. There's just constant pain. You, you're always looking over your shoulder and there's no peace and what is she doing and what is he doing and why are, what are they looking at? And there's just, that's just no way to live. So I, we just decided we have to really protect the trust levels in our marriage. So we're willing to do almost anything it takes to get there. So let's touch base on this last one and then we'll, we'll wrap up. You know, what we've discovered is that cultivating an enjoyable marriage takes growing, takes spiritual growth. Like I have to be growing spiritually and she has to be growing spiritually. And as we grow, both grow spiritually closer to God, we grow closer to each other. And that's been a huge part. You know, in the 17th century, uh, this guy named Francis de Sales said, the state of marriage is, is one that requires more virtue and more constancy than any other. And that's just because people are difficult. <laughs> I don't, I like to think of myself as not being difficult, but I know I'm difficult. <laughs> so, and, and, and everybody does things different ways, and they solve problems different ways, and they handle money different ways, and they have fun different ways, and they use language different ways, and, and that's certainly true of us. We just do things very differently. Um, and so even if you have two really good people together, there's going to be friction and it's going to be difficult. You know, I often tell people that marriage is the great revealer. Like if you want to get married, uh, like if you want to find out what you're really like on the inside, what your true character is, then go ahead and get married and you'll find out. And then if you really want to find out what you're like, have a kid <laughs> or two. And, uh, but, but the, you know, I've discovered this through, through our marriage that who, what I'm like, and, and a lot of times it's just not a very good picture. I'll give you an example. Uh, when we first got married the first couple of years, um, we would have this, this argument, this cyclical argument about every six months. And it was kind of a big blow up and we wouldn't talk to each other for days and, and it was just nasty, right? But we were like in our 20s and just trying to figure this out. And I thought it was very simple. 
The argument was very simple. It would be a different conversation and the content would be different each time, but the common denominator, common denominator was this. She was disrespecting me. She would say something and I would feel disrespected and it would be a blow up. And so, uh, you know, at one point, I think it was maybe three years in or something like that, I can't remember, she said, maybe we should see a counselor, which I thought, are you sick? I'm a pastor. Like, like people come to me for the counsel, right? Which was so arrogant, right? So, so I'm thinking to myself, no, I, we don't need a counselor because I've already figured this out. You know what the problem is? You keep disrespecting me. And if you'd stop disrespecting me, we wouldn't have a problem. Bye-bye problems, right? It was so simple in my mind. Isn't it in marriage? It's like, your fault. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and so, but, but as I got to, you know, I've got this discipline. I've talked to you guys about this before, and I encourage you to do it. Every morning I wake up and I, and I try to open my Bible, and I just say, God, you know, change me and look at my heart and see if there's anything that shouldn't be there and change my ways if they're wrong. And, and so through that discipline, what God began showing me is that it's not your wife. It's your ego. It's your pride. And it's your insecurity. You, that every time your wife comes even close to the line of disrespect, you, you blow up because she's disrespecting you and you need that to feel secure in yourself. And I'm, of course, I hate this, right? <laughs> I don't like this revelation about myself, but marriage is the great revealer. And so through some other books like Wild at Heart, which if you're a man and you haven't read Wild at Heart, man, you need to read that book. I, I began to see that it was my insecurity and my pride and my ego that was on the line. So I began to grow spiritually and ask God to heal that and find my security in Christ and not in my, what my wife says or, or, or in her affirmation or lack of affirmation. And so we haven't had that argument in what? For several years now. Several years. Mm -hmm. How about that? Yeah. So exciting. <laughs> Spiritual growth is huge mm -hmm. if you want to have an enjoyable marriage. Yeah, obviously when, you know, two people who are fallen and who are nothing like Jesus try to build a life together, which includes, you know, jobs and kids and bills and all the other problems that, that happen, unless you're becoming like Christ, it's just going to be a mess. Um, both people, you know, when you're spending time with God, you have the opportunity to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we're both growing these things, it just makes our marriage sweet. Mm. You know, it makes me a, a better mate. It makes me a better person to be around. And it makes me enjoy being around him more when we're both growing. Mm. And so, you know, spiritual growth isn't rocket science. There's nothing um, mystical or you know, hidden about it. It's just habits. It's just practicing habits in the same way you would train to run a half marathon or you'd study for a huge exam or prepare for something else. You can grow spiritually just by practicing habits every day. And for me, you know, I love to drink my coffee while I read my one-year Bible. I've been reading it a lot on my phone because we've been traveling so much and my Bible weighs like 35 pounds, and so, you know, I would rather just be able to take my phone, and I can read God's Word wherever I'm at. Usually, I'll journal, or I'll spend time reading a spiritual book, and, you know, during that, that cyclical argument, I feel like one of the, the culminating um, point of that was when we read Love and Respect by Dr. Egridges, and it, it really spoke to me about, you know, maybe disrespect wasn't in my heart, but in the way that I spoke and in the tone of voice I use and the timing of, you know, what I had to say. 
I, those things need to be choose, chosen better. And, and that really helped kind of stay out of that. Um, also, like just last week, we've been, we've been very busy this summer doing, you know, visiting a lot of family, having wonderful, you know, experiences, but just been very busy. And so I was sharing with Danny a couple weeks ago how I'm just, we're so busy and I don't feel like I have time and was just rushing, you know, every day. And, you know, he did a great job at reflecting which was awesome. And so, you know, instead of trying to solve my problem, he reflected. And then the next morning when I got up to read my Bible, um, I read another book after I read the Word, and it's called A Thousand Gifts. It's by Ann Voskamp. And in this quote, she's talking about a pastor and how one of his greatest regrets in life was being in a hurry, getting to the next thing without fully entering the thing in front of me. I cannot think of a single advantage I've ever gained from being in a hurry, but a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands, lie in the wake of all the rushing. Through all that haste, I thought I was making up time, but it turns out I was throwing it away. And so I love how God, you know, can speak to exactly where you're at when you take the time in your morning, you know, obviously it was a time when I was feeling very rushed and pressured and, and I could have skipped it and said, you know, I don't, I don't have time for time with God this morning, but I would have missed that, that nugget of truth if I would have skipped that time. So um, another thing I do is I love to listen to worship music. Um, I love the Pandora app, and I'll choose like Hillsong or something like that. That always keeps something positive flowing in the kitchen or, you know, wherever I'm at at the time. Um, always, also being in uh, an attitude of prayer, you know, I think it's really important for women of the home to kind of have their finger on the pulse of what's happening emotionally with their family. And when you can be in that attitude of prayer, when you notice somebody is off, you can just pray about it instead of, you know, jumping on and saying, you know, what's wrong? How can I fix it? What's wrong with you? You know, tell me everything. And nagging, we can just pray about it. And what's cool is when we choose to do that, God answers those prayers and then you can go back to your kids or your spouse and say, hey, see how that situation worked out? I prayed about that for you, and look what God did. And it, I think it just helps build your kids, you know, spiritual walk, and, you know, it's, it's just encouraging and neat. Um, lastly, I try to just be um, really quick to ask forgiveness when I screw up, because our spiritual journey, it's a journey, it's a walk, and on that walk, we will fall and we will fail. And so I think it's so important to just quickly stop, ask forgiveness when we do screw up, and ask God to just fix whatever it is that's going on inside of us and move on. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I remember a professor from college kind of uh, talking about he was retiring, and he had many years of successful ministry, and one of the things that he said was having a short sin account with God, mm -hmm. and just being quick, and to not let that um, relationship with the Lord grow too distant or far apart, but just quickly asking forgiveness and keeping those lines of communication with Him open and flowing. Yeah. Excellent. You know, um, as we wrap up, I, I hope that this has been a blessing to you. Again, we're not preaching at you. We're just kind of sharing some discoveries that we've, you know, picked up over the last 15 years or so that have helped us cultivate an enjoyable marriage. My hope is that you glean something from this and that you'll take it and maybe go try it, you know, and, or if you're not married, maybe we'll kind of tuck this away and kind of say, okay, I need to be working on these things in the future. Um, but, you know, the, even, the marriage relationship is probably the most important relationship that many of us are going to have uh, on earth, but there is a relationship that's actually more important than that, 
And that's your relationship with God. And I don't want to miss this opportunity to talk a little bit about that. You know, um, my life changed drastically when I began a relationship with God when I was 17 years old. When I began to grasp the understanding that God loved me despite my sins, that God sent his son to this earth to die for me on a cross. And uh, my life was flipped upside down. I, w I like to say, uh, as, as uh, Brennan Manning says, I was ambushed by the grace of God. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that real quick. You know, one of the greatest verses in the Bible is John 3.16. These are the words of Jesus. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave. A few moments ago, I said that intimacy is more about giving than it is about getting. Intimacy is an expression of love. God says that love is about giving. And God loved you and I so much that he gave his son to die on the cross, to be the sacrifice for your sin. Why? Why did he do that? So that we would not perish, but have eternal life. Perishing in this context means being separated from God forever, paying for your sins yourself. God says, because I love you, you don't have to pay for your sins. In fact, my son has already paid for your sins on the cross. And if you would believe in him, it's very simple. It doesn't say if you'd go to church every Sunday or get your act together or get baptized or get circumcised or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It says if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. I made that decision when I was 17. Many of you have already made that decision. Perhaps there's 10 of you, 12 of you, 20 of you, I don't know, who haven't made that decision yet. Perhaps this is the moment where you put your faith in Christ and you begin a relationship with him. You say, how do I do that? Well, you put your faith in him by, by praying and saying, Christ, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you make me your child? And then you can do that right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you want to pray to receive Christ in this very moment, it was designed for you. You pray this prayer, you put your faith in Christ, and you'll become God's child right now. Let's go ahead and pray. You pray this to him. I'll pray first. You follow me. Just speak to God. He's listening. This is a prayer he loves to answer. Say, dear Jesus, I put my faith in you right now. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. Would you please wash me? and cleanse me and wipe away all the sin and the shame and the guilt be my savior make me your child I believe in you that you are the son of God that you died on the cross for me and you rose again and help me from this day forward to live my life in a way that honors you that brings a smile to your face and shows other people how to find you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Christ today, that is a wonderful thing. Can we give God a hand for what he's done today? So exciting. This moment was designed for you, and, and I don't want you to leave. If you prayed to receive Christ, I, I would love for you to go grab one of these one-year new Bibles, these one-year new Testaments. Our church loves to give these out as a gift, and there's tables back here to my left and back there to my right. If you're in the balcony, you can come down and grab one when we pray here in just a moment, and uh, those folks would love to put one of these in your hands, and here's the reason why, because we believe with all of our heart 
that as you read this book, God is going to begin to speak to you and guide you and show you how to walk with him and guide you into this new life that you just received. See, it is eternal life. And that does include going to heaven when you die. But it also includes eternal life right now. It starts right now. New life, new purpose, new meaning, new joy, new happiness. And you learn about how to live that life through engaging with the scriptures and coming to services like this. So if you prayed to receive Christ, please go back there and grab those. If you prayed last week or the week before and you didn't grab a Bible, please go back and grab one as well. Uh, Let me go ahead and pray and then uh, we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about marriage today. It is your gift. It is your institution that is designed to be a blessing to mankind when it's done right. And thank you for my marriage. Thank you for my precious wife. I pray, God, that others would begin to put some of these principles into practice that they might experience the joy and the fullness and the happiness and the friendship that is designed for them through marriage. And uh, God, thanks for most of all for sending your son to this earth to die on the cross that we might have eternal life. And we give you praise for those who put their faith in you today. Give them the courage to go back and grab a Bible and begin reading. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I love you. Next week, we're going to do part two of this. You're not going to want to miss it. If you know someone who's married, who'd like to be encouraged or struggling in their marriage, bring them on in. I promise you it'll be a blessing. God bless you. See you next week.